Welcome to the Money Advantage Podcast, empowering business owners with the permission to think differently about money so that you can consciously choose to live a meaningful and fulfilled life now. Our passion is making money simple, fun, and doable, helping you feel great about your money and getting your money working for you so you can thrive. Today, we are talking about the Deferred Sales Trust, and this is a way to solve the capital gains tax. We have special guest Brett Swartz with us today. And thank you so much, Brett, for joining us for this conversation. Thanks, Rachel, for having me. And thanks, Bruce, for having me as well. You're welcome. Awesome. Well, if you are wondering what this conversation is about, we are talking about the freedom to be able to sell real estate when it works for you on your own terms, in your own timing, and not have to be captive to a 1031 exchange or maybe you're in the middle of a 1031 exchange and you've had problems or a failure of that. And we're talking about the solution that is in your interest that allows you to work with real estate on your own terms. Now, here's a little bit about Brett as we are getting into the show today. So he's the CEO of Capital Gains Tax Solutions. He works with the Deferred Sales Trust as a tool to really help high net worth clients solve capital gains tax deferral limitations Those are a lot of big words. We're going to unpack all of those in the conversation today. Now, you might also be interested to know that he is an active commercial real estate broker and an investor himself. And he's had a lot of experience in many different areas of real estate, including multifamily, including senior housing, real estate, medical office, and mixed-use properties. So we're really getting somebody with an inside perspective here. So that is what we're talking about today. And we're going to dig into a little bit more about what Brett has to offer in just a moment. But before we do that, I want to let you know that we are taking your questions live during the show today. We also have a button at the top of our website. If you go to themoneyadvantage.com and you can say, ask or send us a voicemail. There's a button that says, send us a voicemail. Go ahead and click that link. You can record a 90 second voicemail and ask us your questions and we'd love to address them on the show. Bruce, thank you for, um, thank you for just the conversation that we had in advance about why this is valuable to our audience. I just wanted to hear from you before we kind of jump into the topic today. Yeah, I think we, we, we need to make sure that we're very careful here for disclosure purposes. You know, we're not, we're not actually eliminating taxes. Uh, we're deferring capital gains tax. Uh, we actually do this at E3 Consultants Group uh, with several of our clients. I'm, I'm very interested to see uh, the, the techniques and, and the uh, procedures that uh, Brett does. Um, and, th- and this is a, co- this is a conversation that we need to have because people don't understand the time value of money. And when you can defer a tax, um, that it actually helps you with uh, overcoming um, the payment, the big payment at, at this time. Now, a lot of people sit, would think, well, that's, that's great, but why is it great? Well, the big reason why it's great is that inflation erodes our, our value of our money, and our government is continually to do things by adding money stimulus packages into our economy, which we talked about on other podcasts. And that means it's going to be, the buying power is going to be eroded even more and more and more. So um, anytime you can defer this. Now, you do lose control, and we're big about control uh, of a large sum of money. So that is why you need a professional to actually um, say to you, do you want to actually uh, obtain a bigger sum of money, but also pay a bigger sum of taxes? Or do you want to obtain a smaller sum of money? And, and then pay a smaller uh, sum of taxes along the way as you continue to, to get a smaller sum of money along the way. So that's kind of an overview and a disclosure. We're, we're not CPAs in here. Uh, we, we have worked very closely with our CPAs and tax attorneys on these. So I do believe we can talk in general about these things, but Brett's going to offer a fresh perspective. And you and I both, Rachel, know that uh, communication um, is done in a variety of ways. And we're hoping that Brett's message will meet a certain part of our audience. Absolutely. Well, thank you. It's always great to hear, Bruce, from your perspective as we're jumping into the conversation. So, Brett, let's go ahead and start back from the beginning, not like way at the beginning, but tell us how did you get into this space, specifically with real estate, capital gains, and taxes? How did that all come to be for you? Yes, great question. And uh, thanks again for having me on the show. Uh, 
So most high net worth individuals who own commercial real estate, they struggle with capital gains tax. And so it started in 2005 and six. Uh, I was started at my career at Marcus and Millichap, helping people buy and sell investment real estate. And so I learned the brokerage side of things. And that was during the time when the market was very, very, uh, let's say a seller's market. Prices were high. People were making a lot of money and they were doing a lot of 1031 exchanges. And as a part of that 1031 exchange, they love to be the seller but they loathe being the buyer, right? They felt like they were overpaying, taking on too much debt, equal or greater value, chasing deals. We call that the, the shotgun 1031 wedding. Mm. You're getting engaged in 45 days and you're getting married in 180. And, and then the music stops, right? And it stopped in an abrupt way in 2008. And we saw a lot of friends, family, and clients um, lose half or some of them lost everything. Mm. And uh, at the time, too, I was kind of just new in the brokerage business, and I was just trying to make it myself. And I don't know if you've ever been in this position where you're working so hard at something and you're so in love with what you're doing, um, but you're not having a lot of traction financially. Where well, that's where I was. I was newly married, had a, uh, my, our first daughter at home, my wife and I, and I was during this period where I started to get some success, and then I hit that brick wall of 2008. But it wasn't just my own brick wall and my, my wife and my, and my family's financial brick wall, but it was also the brick wall for a lot of these clients who had worked you know, blood, sweat, and tears for 10, 20, 30 years buying these properties, owning these properties, doing multiple exchanges, only to find that they weren't diversified, they weren't liquid, they're fighting the banks, and they had overpaid for properties. And see, most of them knew they were overpaying at the time in the sense that they thought it was a seller's market, but they felt they had no choice. They felt they were trapped by the capital gains tax. And so I did what every good entrepreneur does, and you try to figure out a way to help your clients never have to face that ever again, but also had to keep the finance, you know, the finances coming in. So I got a side, side job, side hustle at a place called Cheesecake Factory, my wife and I's favorite restaurant. And so by day, I would be making calls trying to help new negotiate with banks for my clients and or uh, with, the, uh, with the city and county for taxes. And by night, I'd be trying to serve cheesecake and, 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 and uh, keep the lights on at my house. And so... That was a really trying time. And so the manager at, at, at Cheesecake Factory said, hey, look, you have two degrees and a minor. You're, success, you're, you're trying to be successful in real estate. It looks like you had some success, but now you're in a tough spot. I want you here for two years. As long as you stay for two years, I will hire you. So he did. And I gave him that commitment for, so for two years and one day. Um, by day, I was tra- trying to figure out how to make it work. And so I learned uh, about the Deferred Sales Trust because my manager actually at the time in Sacramento brought in a gentleman to speak. And he's now my business partner. His name is Robert. And he's kind of the co-founder of the Deferred Sales Trust. He's a financial advisor in this role. And he went on to tell us about how the Deferred Sales Trust could solve those limitations that the 1031 exchange often forced people to overpay for. So fast forward, I learned about it and I started to apply it to my business. And as I started to apply it and I rolled it out to my clients, I started to see my business grow because I started to add value beyond just what a lot of other brokers were just talking about, which was just the 1031 exchange. Fast forward, we have five kids who live here in Roseville, California, Sacramento still, and um, we, we've been able to keep my wife home full time. That's her love and her passion to raise our five kids, and, uh, and life has never been the same. Now I coach and train and teach financial advisors, uh, business brokers, commercial real estate agents, and syndicators, as well as luxury realtors on how to help their clients escape the uh, capital gains tax uh, 1031 um, uh, race as well. Well, that's really fascinating. First, that you did this in the midst of five kids and, well, one kid at the time, building up to five kids. And also, I was born in Modesto, California. So my dad is from the Sacramento, San Francisco Bay Area. And of course, I I moved out when I was really young, but it's cool to hear somebody from that area. So very awesome. So let's dig in a little bit more. So we have a lot of people who are interested in real estate and who are real estate investors that listen to our show and plug in. But for somebody who's maybe more so on the fringes and saying, I'm not really sure what is a 1031 exchange, let's just back up and talk about what is that and why would somebody use a 1031 in the first place? Absolutely. So um, it's a difference between a transactional exit plan and a transformational exit plan. And so we'll start with the 1031 exchange. It's more like a transactional exit plan. It's just kind of trading one thing for another. And it's doing that within the, within the guidelines that the, that the IRS lays out, which is IRC 1031. And essentially, you can trade like-kind investment real estate for other like-kind investment real estate as long as you buy it of equal or greater value. You've identified uh, those properties uh, within 45 days that you're going to buy from the close of escrow, and you're closing on 180 days. 
And I call this the blockbuster way of doing things. Do you remember Blockbuster, Rachel, when you were younger? Yes. And you would go in. By the way, my dad lives in uh, Stockton, Linden, and I was originally from the Bay Area, Mission San Jose, Fremont. So I've kind of been in this whole area as well. But oh, I remember awesome. driving in with my dad. You know, we'd be working hard on the job site. You know, uh, he, he'd build houses. And we would show up on a Blockbuster on a Friday night, wanted to buy that movie. But that movie was stuck behind a cardboard, right? And you had to see, you had to go get it. And, and, but you're about to grab it. And you remember that one person two steps ahead of you grabs it and look at you and you guys know you both wanted that movie. Yeah. Well, that's like yeah. the 1031 exchange. It's, it's very restrictive in that you have to identify and you also have to return, right? I mean, you have 45 days. Blockbuster, you have three days to return. You have to rewind it or you get the fees, the penalties. And guess what? It makes it very challenging, right? Oftentimes we call it the sell high, buy higher 180 days later. Our parents taught us to sell high, Rachel, right? And buy low, not sell high and buy higher. And so the 1031 exchange too often is not friendly to that. And by the way, I'm a commercial real estate broker. I've sold nearly $100 million of real estate for, for clients. And I've done numerous 1031 exchanges. I love the 1031 when it makes sense for a buyer's market, when there's more inventory, when it's not multiple offers, uh, when cap rates aren't 4 and 5% and compressed with very low interest rates. When essentially, you know, when you're in a buyer's market. So that's the number one thing for, for the old way of doing things. That's the 1031 exchange. And the second part of that is equal or greater value, which has to do often with equal or greater debt. I believe debt is our friend and smart debt is our friend when we can buy real estate based upon its intrinsic value and the ability to add value and to get a, a decent price per square foot, a decent price per unit. For California, I haven't seen that for a couple of years now for most, mm -hmm. at least multifamily properties to make a lot of sense. And so that's part of how a lot of folks got hurt. They had taken on too much debt and they had overpaid in the 0506. And likewise, a lot of folks um, can potentially be in a tough spot when they do that too. So we don't want debt when, when the market has turmoil or there's challenges or there's a potentially change in the economy. We believe we want to get out of debt. We want liquidity, which leads into the next point, which is diversification. With a 1031 exchange, you're trading one like-kind asset for another like-kind asset, often in the same place, in the same city, and what's going on right now with the baby boomers is, is according to the American Bankers Association, there's about $17 trillion that will pass from one generation to the next in the next 20 years. And this is known as the largest wealth transfer in the history of the planet. Mm -hmm. And in fact, there's about 77 million baby boomers in the U.S. alone and about 10,000 every day are turning 65. And what do they want? They want diversification. They want liquidity. They want to be out of debt. They, want, they don't want to have to go through these huge, huge market cycles, right, with uh, their wealth. And they're looking to retire from the toilets, the trash, the liability. And they're looking for ways to have what's called a transformational exit plan, which is the deferred sales trust. So I'll pause there because I know I said a whole lot there. Yeah, that's awesome. Bruce, did you have any questions? I, I have one, but I was curious what you're thinking at this point. Well, I, I think it's uh, to, to put uh, the, this into perspective, it's like anything. If you have to buy something and that person knows you have to buy it. It doesn't make any difference if you're walking into a car dealer. It doesn't make any difference if you're walking into a Target and um, you have to buy something. The, the, the price of the invisible hand of the economy is going to go up. And so it, this isn't some weird, strange economic phenomenon. This is basic economic phenomenon. And so as we continue our educational process with our listeners, this is simply the problem with this is. If you, if you sell, you have, like you said, I love that uh, analogy of 45 days to get engaged and then 180 days to actually have the wedding or sell it, then people know that. Now, maybe, maybe the buyer, or excuse me, maybe the, uh, yeah, maybe the uh, seller, excuse me, doesn't know it as much, but the buyer does. And remember, we talk about this all the time as far as the stress in your life making you make poor decisions. So if you can take that stress out, take a, a breather back, and actually, I'm sure Brett's going to go over the, um, the deferred sales trust, <clears throat> and actually the flexibility of it also is one of the one of the great things about it. Um, but that takes some of the stress out of it, and that that's that can be very valuable too. Well, I'm just thinking even from an investor perspective. So I'm currently in a fourplex, let's say, and I I see that the cash flows have been excellent up to a point and now it's appreciated and I really do want to sell that property and it makes sense for me to do so. And now I'm in a position where if I just sell the property and I wait for 
who knows, maybe six months, maybe I want to wait for another two years or three years to deploy that capital. I want to keep it liquid now. And maybe there's not a good deal for me to use that capital right now. And I want to get it back into real estate, but maybe I'm looking for the ideal investment and I want time to be able to make that decision. What is the problem with just selling the one property and sitting on cash without a 1031 exchange? Yeah, great question. It's 30 to 50% in capital gains tax, depending on what state you live in and depreciation recaptures. Well, federal is 20%. State of California is like 13.3. Then you have what's called like the Medicare, Obamacare taxes, about 3.8. And then you have what's called depreciation recapture, and it can go as high as 50%. And it's absolutely brutal. Um, and so that was the old way of doing things, right? It was just, and even by the way, if Bruce and Rachel, and I think we would all agree, in 05 and 06 and 07, we might, I think we would agree, we would have sold and even paid that tax because we knew, had we known what we know now, right, that the market was going to drop by 30, 40, sometimes 50% in some marketplaces, we were going to buy deals at a discount. We would have still paid that tax. But here's the cool thing with the deferred sales trust. You can have the best of both worlds. In fact, we call this the Monday morning quarterback deal. This gentleman in 2006, he is selling it to over a $20 million asset in Minnesota, kind of across the street, uh, close to the Minnesota Viking Stadium. And he's looking around for a 1031 exchange. He's a, he's a really smart, very wealthy individual. So he said, this doesn't make any sense. But he goes, I'm going to try this deferred sales trust thing and see if this thing works. And um, so he did. He sold his property, used the deferred sales trust. And guess what happened? Five years later, patience, and this is part of Bruce's thing, time was on his side. He was not in a rush. The property that he sold was foreclosed on by the bank. And guess who the bank called? They called him, the old seller, and said, hey, that property you sold five years ago? Yeah. Do you want to buy it back? Well, maybe. What's the price? And they said 60 cents on the dollar. Mm. He says, okay. So he bought it back through his deferred sales trust, all tax deferred. He sold high and he bought low. He played the Monday morning quarterback, right? He might as well have been in the Viking Stadium as a starting, you know, versus Kirk Cousins at the time. I don't know if it was still, actually, he probably wasn't around at that point. Um, but he played this thing perfect. He sold high and he bought low when it made sense, all tax deferred. And so that's the biggest false belief I think what folks have when they think about the 1031. They feel like they have to between a rock and a hard place. I either sell high and pay this tax and then wait for a deal or I have to maybe overpay and be forced and pressured. No, 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 you don't have to do that anymore. It's the deferred sales trust. It is the Netflix to this, right? You'd have unlimited time. You don't, you don't have any timing restrictions with the deferred sales trust. Um, you don't have to do equal or greater value with the deferred sales trust. Um, you also don't have to take on any debt if you don't want to. Um, as well, you can invest it in stocks, bonds, mutual funds. You get the diversification. And you also get liquidity, which is so, so important right now, right? Banks are requiring now more and more reserves. They're, they're even stricter on their mm -hmm. lending guidelines. So if you go for a 1031 exchange, you're, you're in a tough spot because the banks may or may not deal. The seller may or may not deal. There's a lot of moving parts. By the way, we just saved a failed 1031 exchange in Georgia, actually, a $7.6 million deal for a client named Dave. And he had a backup plan. That's the other thing I want to encourage your listeners to have. Always have a plan B. You know, don't just have a, a plan A because that one property may not work out or those three properties may not work out. And we saved his failed 1031 with this as well, which is also another reason to get time on your side and take the pressure off. Well, let's go ahead and get into then what is exactly a divert, deferred sales trust? I mean, it definitely sounds like we're going to be able to minimize the problems with having to pay capital gains tax. And what were those rates that you shared again? You said they're different in California, but what are you seeing typically? It's 30 to 50%. And then again, some states you have less. It could be 25, 20. I just did a deal in Texas. I think they were around 25 or 20. Yeah, but it depends on the depreciation recapture if you're selling investment real estate. If you're selling a primary home, we just had a primary home in, in Palo Alto, $8.3 million sale. And they have no depreciation on a primary home. So that would be a little bit lower in California, be 33 Right. So again, state specific, federal 20%, state specific, and then the Medicare tax if you're selling like an investment property. So it just kind of depends, but it's, it's big, right? And if you have a big enough gain, sure. then you definitely don't probably want to pay the tax. You probably want to defer it. So you're saying here, we've got capital gains tax, which we're going to pay this huge tax on the gain that we've had, uh, the appreciation in this property, or we have to do a really quick deal with the 1031. So how does exactly the deferred sales trust work in solving both of those problems? Great question. I call this a transformational exit planning. Three secrets to an optimal timing exit plan. And the secret number one is just basically selling and deferring hundreds of thousands to millions of dollars in capital gains tax, how to legally break free from capital gains tax and find freedom to buy and sell your business or property without ever worrying about a 1031 exchange ever again. 
So I always like to use actual deal stories, okay? So a client of mine, he just sold a $2.6 million business in Alabama. He had three partners, or he had two partners. He was one of three. And his partners didn't want to sell, but he wanted to get out. He was in the marketing business. And so he sold his portion for $2.6 million. They bought him out. And what he wanted to do was to start his real estate investment kind of uh, new business. He wanted to actually build apartment buildings. And so, but he didn't know how to get there from this to this because it's not like kind without having to pay the $600,000 of liability. So he used the deferred sales trust to sell at 2.6, move all 2.6 into the trust. And now he's building 80 units in Tennessee with the funds that he would have paid in tax. And so that's really the first thing. You just understand what it is. It's just an installment sale. It's known as IRC 453, which is a foundational uh, part of the tax code goes going back to like the 1920s and 30s, okay? And it's known as if I would came to Bruce and say, Bruce, I want to buy your, your $10 million building. And Melvin Bruce owned it free and clear. And imagine he had a 40% tax if he had, he had a zero basis, if he were to just sell and do nothing. Well, if I come to Bruce and I say, hey, Bruce, I want to give you a $2 million down payment. Would you carry a note for eight? In that scenario, he's received $2 million. That's actual or constructive receipt. He'll pay tax on that. But that other $8 million is in what's called a deferral state. And he's not going to pay that until if and when he receives either interest payments from that, of which he'll pay ordinary income tax, or the principal of that, which he'll pay capital gains tax. So that is just an installment sale. Most of your listeners probably know a seller carryback or as a land contract. That's what they know it as, okay? So that's the foundation of the deferred sales trust. But we just do a little nuance. We add the, call it the Uber app to this taxi system that used to be just a seller carryback. And we say, hey, how do we make this thing just, 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 just uh, adjust it with this new trust? We're going to set up this new business trust. And this business trust is only going to do a deal with Bruce. And it's going to ask Bruce to cooperate. And it's going to ask the buyer to cooperate. And instead of taking constructive receipt of even $2 million, we're going to ask Bruce to carry a note for 100% financing. So, hey, Bruce, would you carry a note for 100% financing for the trust? And Bruce says, yes. Okay. And immediately, we have this buyer ready to go at that $10 bucks. He's going to come with all cash. He can, he, can get, he can get a loan if he wants to. But we're going to ask the actual buyer to buy it from the trust. Okay. And so the trust is going to buy it from Bruce for $10 million. And it's going to sell it for $10 million. Well, guess what, Bruce and Rachel? If you buy and sell for the same price, what's your gain? The answer is zero. You have zero gain. So therefore, there's no tax liability for the trust. Now, Bruce, if you received zero down payment, you're in a deferral state. Guess how much tax is triggered today? The answer is zero until you receive actual or constructive receipt of that $10 million. So it's simply at the heart of this, a seller carryback with a third-party unrelated trustee, which is my role, Right? We have to keep it uh, with business purpose. We have to keep it separate from Bruce or his family or anyone that he, he, he has an employee or anyone else. So there are some guardrails we have to follow. By the way, it's the same thing that works for a 1031. If Bruce were to do a 1031, he sends it to the QI company. So we're kind of like a QI company, but we're like a long-term QI company, right? Except we're not making all the interest and just keeping it for ourselves. We're actually making the interest to pay back Bruce the promissory note, which he becomes the secured lender in this scenario. And it's typically structured at 8% net of all recurring fees over any 10-year period of time, of which Bruce can just receive interest payments and pay ordinary income tax, or he can dip into principal and pay some capital gains tax along the way. So I'm going to pause there. We've done a couple thousand of these now, over 25-year track record, uh, over a dozen no-change IRS audits, um, not one single issue. We're batting a 1,000, no pending litigation. We've paved the trail for this. Um, and so, but I'm going to make sure you guys are on the same page and, and any questions there. The first question is, uh, how, how are these set up or are they set up so that the, the buyer cannot, uh, refinance or pay off the, the entire sale? Um, how do you prevent that? Because that could be held over a person's head and say, well, I'm just going to, I'm just going to buy it out right now instead of deferring it. Uh, how, how is, how is that uh, protected? And then what other kind of uh, legal cost, and I know there's going to be a cost to actually uh, minister the trust, but what other kind of legal costs are there? Sure. Yep. We'll start with a, a deal I just closed in Sacramento for a gentleman named Peter. He lives in Marin, California, just north of San Francisco. and He's driving about three hours to Sacramento, two days a week, fighting traffic. He's hating it. He's near 70 years old. And he's like, Brett, I have all this debt on this property, a 500,000 uh, 500, of debt. Um, I have about a $500,000 basis and he's selling it for about $1.8 million. And so what he wanted to do is get out of debt. It was one of his biggest things because he, he, he went to the 08 crisis. And so at close of escrow, we pay off that debt to the bank. So that's gone. So his note was for about 1.3. dollars 
He sold for 1.8, he paid off the debt, so the actual promissory note is 1.3, and he deferred about $550,000 of tax. And I asked him, I said, Peter, why did you do the deal? He said, Bert, I had 18 problems. I didn't want 36 problems. I have enough wealth. Like, I don't, I mean, I don't want to give it away. I don't want to lose it, but I don't want to trade 18 problems for 36 problems in a 1031. I've already done that before. I'm ready to be retired from all of that. And so hopefully that answers your question, Bruce. You can you just pay off the debt that's remaining on anyone else. Now, if there's a mortgage over basis, we do have to either pay down the debt to the basis or do a partial 1031. Um, and that's kind of a nuance that we can dive into, but um, not as common, but it could be. So that's that's that part. Um, so does that answer your question on the first one, Bruce? I want to make sure I got that. Well, so so what is the what is the financing cost? Because there, there has to be a financing cost in this, right? Um, because the the person that is selling it is not just going to accept the in a deferred sales trust just accept the the asking price, or, or are they happy to do that because they're deferring their taxes? Great question. Yeah, we're going to find a ready, willing, and able buyer for fair market value. Okay, so that's part of what we do at Capital Gains Tax Solutions, especially here in Sacramento and across the nation. We partner with Strategic Alliances, the best, best in the commercial real estate business, to offer this. But we'll list the property for them. We'll find that ready, able, willing buyer, right, at fair market value. And then we'll just ask them to cooperate with the deferred sales trust up front, right? So, you know, seller has the right to a deferred sales trust or a 1031 exchange at no additional cost to the buyer. And so they're going to be they're, He was already going to sell it for the same price. So the trust will only transact and the seller will only transact if the buyer is ready to go and removes all contingencies and does the deal. The only difference is we're, we're assigning the interest to the trust and it's like a simultaneous close. By the way, we don't get paid unless and if the deal actually goes through. You don't pay a dime to the tax attorneys nor to uh, our company unless and if uh, the deal happens, which uh, leads into the fees. Which, Bruce, did I answer your questions or you want me to go into the fees? Well, so you're signing the interest to the trust. I understand that part. But who determines the interest rate? Oh, okay. Great question. So before the funds go anywhere and before the deal closes, let's say it's you and your wife, Bruce, you would fill out a risk tolerance questionnaire. And that risk tolerance questionnaire um, will determine a reasonable amount of risk for a reasonable amount of return. This is very important. And uh, so it's a two-pager. It just says, you know, what are your assets? What's your liabilities? What's your experience with debt? What's your experience with stocks, bonds, mutual funds? And that score will determine an interest rate. And typically, most of our interest rates are 8% net of all recurring fees based upon the score. If you're extra conservative, it could be 7, 6, or 5 over any 10-year period of time. And so you say, yeah, that seems reasonable. I like that. Not guaranteed. We're not promising anything. We're just all going to, as a team, going to try to take these funds and invest it to, to pay you out that amount. Okay? Typically, we set it as a balloon payment at the end of 10 years to be paid to you. And in the meantime, an interest that comes out. But it's entirely up to you how much you want to receive and how much you want to set up. And we, 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 we ink that in. But you're not set in stone. If you need to, um, if you want to make a change, you can refinance this note, if you will. And we can either accelerate the payments or, or, or maybe slow them down or take a big lump sum. We just have to schedule it. It's very important to make sure we always have this written out and it's agreed upon and signed. So that's up front before anything happens. Does that answer the question? Well, no, I'm maybe you are, and I'm just not understanding what you're doing. Um, so, if if we're deferring, if we're deferring the payments back to the uh, seller to to um, minimize capital gains tax along the way, not minimize, but defer to capital gains tax along the way, the buyer, where is the buyer's funds coming from? Aren't they coming from the fact that you're carrying back a note? Or are you saying that they actually go get the traditional financing? Yeah, they're coming with the full cash. We want, hey, come okay. the full okay. 10 million bucks. Get a lender, come with cash, we don't care, but we're not gonna finance you, Mr. Buyer, right? Because we don't wanna take that risk. And a traditional installment sale, your collateral is based upon that buyer. That's where most people don't do those, right? And they're typically short in nature. Two to three years, they refinance and you pay the tax anyways. That's where most people just ed edge for the 1031. And this scenario, we're making it the Netflix versus the Blockbuster, and we're saying, no, no, we're not gonna finance you. Our collateral is going to be investment-grade securities. It's going to be in other real estate holdings that I want. Um, and it's not going to be tied to one single person, okay? And that's, that's the importance of this, the investments to secure the potential return to you, Bruce. Does that make sense? Yeah, is that the way you do it, or, or is that the way they're all done? Because I was that's under they're all done. Okay, then I must have been thinking of something differently on that. Mm -hmm. Okay, great.
So I have additional questions as well. And again, this is a, a strategy that has a lot of moving parts to it, it looks like. But let's just say that I'm the person now who I'm using a deferred sales trust. And so when do I need to put this in place if I'm selling my property? You mentioned that it can be used to solve a failed 1031 exchange. So is it something that I can, I need to choose before I sell my property? Can I uh, decide to opt for the deferred sales trust at any point along the process? When do I need to implement this? Yeah, we just closed a deal for a family um, kind of south of Santa Cruz. And uh, they they called us like like about two weeks before close. And it was all this, it was was going really fast. And we needed to put the language into the purchase and sale agreement that the seller has the right to a deferred sales trust and actually set up the trust before the removal of all contingency. So he had an investment property and it was going so fast that we said, you know what, just send it to an exchange company. And he did. And then we said, look, we'll work with the exchange company and on day 46, we'll move it into the trust. And so the answer is, if you are selling investment property, we have three windows. At close of escrow, as long as we had put the language in prior to the buyer removing all contingencies and also established the trust prior to that, as long as we've done that, we're in good shape. The next window would be day 46, as long as we send it to a qualified intermediary who actually knows, uh, who actually gives both both options, which we have those strategic alliances uh, lined up, ready to go. So we recommend you use those. You don't go with some of the other ones that are like the blockbuster way. They just want to do it one way. And uh, for whatever reason they have, which is fine, but we, we just want to give you both options. And then the next window would be day 181 if you were going for that property. So in Dave's scenario, in the $7.6 million deal he sold in Georgia, he was looking around for a deal in North Carolina, didn't like the prices, didn't like the, the, the marketplace. And then COVID-19 hit, hit and everything crashed. And he's going, I definitely don't like anything. And so he moved all $3.1 million into the trust. He paid off about $4.5 million of debt. He said, I'm, I'm, I'm diversifying. I'm going to be patient and wait on the sidelines for the market to shift, which is the next best part about the deferred sales trust, right? You can get back into real estate. Now, but to, to finish your question, if you're selling a business or you're selling a primary home, we can do this with cryptocurrency, public stock, private stock. Um, we can do it, you know, optometrists, dentists, uh, you know, um, veterinarians. All those need to be set up well in advance, okay? Because there's no 1031 option, right? So we got to set it up well in advance. So ideally, you're with us 30, 60, 90 days. Get a year in advance, okay? Get all planned. Get your exit plan in place. But if the buyer removes all contingencies, Rachel, and you call me and say, hey, I'm closing in a week and all contingencies have been removed, you're going to say, sorry, it's too late. Um, you've taken what's called constructive receipt. The tax is going to be triggered. It's, it's, um, unfortunately, that's, that's the case sometimes. Okay. Okay. Well, that was a question that I think would definitely be on someone's mind if they were considering using a deferred sales trust. Now, you mentioned also that this can be used on a primary home. And so that would look like I'm selling a property, but only if I'm purchasing an investment property with that, correct? So, um, no, actually incorrect. So you cannot 1031 exchange a primary home. Okay, this is where the deferred sales trust becomes uh, the number one way to defer capital gains tax, we believe, um, for diversification, liquidity, and flexibility, not having to give it all away to charity, uh, which is the CRT, which is also a, a great way to do it too, but it's just that we don't force any of the charity with ours. So, um, so we said an $8.3 million deal in Palo Alto. The gentleman had owned it for a number of years and, and he lived there two of the last five years. And you have what's called the 121 exclusion, which states you have 250 excluded if you're single or 500 if you're married. But above and beyond that, he had a capital gains tax liability, a, a big number. And so instead of, of uh, paying that, he used the deferred sales trust. We also did a similar deal in Cupertino for a $3.1 million sale. Um, she lived right next to the Apple headquarters and the same thing. So. So um, you sell that, you put it into the trust, you pay off all the debt, and it's sitting there. And now can you invest in real estate? So kind of answer your question, yeah, you can, right? Because we're not doing a 1031. Once the funds are in the trust, they can be invested in investment real estate. They can Because we're not doing like kind, we're not in the 1031 rules, we're in IRC 453 rules, which this is the Netflix, right, versus the Blockbuster. So stocks, bonds, mutual funds, real estate deals, real estate development, business ventures, as long as it's investment purpose or business purpose, then the IR says yes. If they want to take it as personal property or use the funds to invest in a primary home, no, right? Just pay the tax on that amount and go pay it. That's kind of a nuance there. The IRS wants to incentivize business as a study of macroeconomics, 
Mm-hmm. So they give these legal tax loopholes, which actually spur the economy, spur economic growth, spur job creation, which spurs what? More tax revenue. So this is why the IRS knows what we do. It's why it's 100% legal. And you know, like Bruce said, we're not avoiding, we're just deferring. But in the meantime, we're we're putting it into this economy to grow the economy, which actually creates more jobs and creates more tax revenue. So it's actually a win-win for everybody. So, Brett, uh, the only thing uh, I can't help myself, I'm an ex- ex-educator. I knew it, Bruce. I, I was going to say the same yeah. thing if you didn't. Go ahead. <laughs> um, I think a better way to communicate that is a legal IRS incentive. Because too many of our population look at the, the legal incentives that are used to build uh, to build our macroeconomic growth in this country, they use the word loophole and loophole is a negative. So the only thing I would say, I would encourage you to start saying legal incentive built into the tax code because I'm frankly getting tired of uh, the, the rhetoric over all these things like they're illegal to do. And they were put in to help people when they were actually put in to actually incentivize people to do something to help the good of everybody in this country. Which I is interesting, that. Brett, that you mentioned that as well. You said this is for the purpose of growing the economy. Mm-hmm. And when you grow the economy, then you're incentivized to do that. It was just the the language on it. And Bruce, I, I knew you were thinking the same things. <laughs> she, she's, she's been around me way too, way too long. <laughs> I like it. Legal IRS incentive. I like that. I like, that's really good. I'm and I actually, I mean, um, I, I've been mentored by Tom Wilwright, who you may recognize as yep. Kiyosaki's uh, accountant. We're WealthAbility certified. And he hammers this into us all the time about these are not loopholes, these are incentives um, that is that can actually be obtained by everybody in this country. And even if they cannot obtain these incentives, they're actually built in to help everybody in this country. So um, absolutely can't agree with you more. I yeah. love Tom. That's awesome. That's awesome. So we talked about the timing. We talked about a primary home. Now let's talk about if I have used the deferred sales trust and now I want to go ahead and use my money as quickly as possible to go ahead and invest in another property that does come across my radar. What's that timing look like? This is my most exciting point, And this is why I started the company. Okay. Back to the 08 crash and everything else with the, the pain and the, and the frustration that a lot of my clients face. And this is secret number two. And I call this the optimal timing, transformational wealth plan cloning how to clone a proven wealth plan with capital gains tax solutions in less than five hours and become time, energy, and debt-free. And again, be able to buy real estate at a discount, right? This is transformational, right? Because you can sell high and just be patient. We call this keeping the powder dry on the sidelines, mm-hmm. right? And you're just going to be, by the way, as real estate professionals, as real estate owners, we know when it's a seller's market, when it's a buyer's market, right? Mm-hmm. We know it. It's like, it's like this big Titanic ship. It doesn't turn like the stock market in a sense, right? It takes a long time to turn, right? So we know when it's high. So guess what? Here's the plan, Rachel and Bruce. We're going to sell high. We're going to diversify. We're going to put it in liquid diversified investment grade securities. Very conservative portfolios. It doesn't have to be crazy, you know, um, crazy risk here. And we're just going to be patient. Okay. And we're going to wait for a deal to hit us over the head. And we're going to go, oh, and it might take a year. It might take two years. But we're going to bring time back and we're going to make time our best friend. And when time's your best friend, guess what? When you don't need to negotiate, that's the best time to negotiate. And then you're going to buy these deals at a discount. And for like the California owners, right? We're actually going to get out of California. Like we just did a deal. I sold it for $270,000 per unit, multifamily property. Unbelievable. It's flat roof, 19, mid-1960s construction, $1,200 to $1,400 in rent. Guess what? We found that really, really aggressive 1031 buyer who paid that, you know, next to low four caps for the property. And then my sellers, his name is Steve and John, they decided, John actually had an emergency, had to go a separate way, which, which he ended up for a family thing. But, but Steve was able to use the deferred sales trust. And now we're just waiting on the sideline. He was looking at his return on equity of less than 3%. He, see, he bought low and it boosted up, but he has all this equity. We call it lazy equity. It's not doing anything for him really. And so now he's parked it here and we're looking at mobile home parks, right? Where it's 8, 10, 12% cash on cash return. We're looking, but it's out of state, right? We're looking at multifamily. He also, um, he's a full-time W-2 working professional. And he doesn't necessarily want to deal with the evictions and the Gavin Newsom laws and all of these challenges that California just hammers landlords for. I'm seeing the same thing in Seattle and Portland. I have people calling me every single week and saying, I can't wait to get out of here. This is an absolute mess. And all of my wealth is tied to these properties. And I feel like a little bit scared, a little bit front, like if this thing goes the way it could go 
and my property values drop or my renters stop paying, like, I want to get out. And so we're helping clients, especially in the larger cities that are seeing rapid appreciation to escape feeling trapped by capital gains tax. And so we're going to sit on the sidelines. We're going to wait. We're going to diversify. We're going to get you with one of some of the top financial advisors. We use a group called SCI, and they, they, um, they, they manage the MLB pension fund. They manage the Mercedes-Benz pension fund. We use groups like uh, SWAN. It's all, but the client's going to decide where and how the funds are invested based upon their approval, okay? And, uh, and then we're going to wait. And then if they, by the way, some of them may not want to buy real estate ever again, which is fine too, right? Never, never touch toilet trash and liability. Some do. We're just going to give you flexibility and options based upon what you want to do. So if I find a great deal and I want to put my money into that in a month, do I have that option? Yes. And so let's picture 10 million sitting there, Bruce. And Bruce finds an amazing deal for two million bucks. He can form an LLC the next day, and he can actually partner with this trust. He's not borrowing from this trust. This is very important. And by partnering with the trust, he's going to be able to put the funds in there and go buy that property. And you, by the way, uh, Bruce, you'll like this. You and Tom Rollright will like this. You get a brand new depreciation schedule. So part of the 1031 exchange is like a blockbuster. The depreciation schedule travels. Well, guess what? Depreciation is one of the number one ways to own real estate because it can offset the cash flow. But in a 1031 exchange, the depreciation schedule travels, so that's not good. So if so Bruce owned a $10 million property, had a zero basis, and he 1031, and he bought an exact same $10 million property, guess what? He has no depreciation on that deal. But if he did that same deal through a deferred sales trust, let's say he took $10 million, put it into the trust, and let's say he used a $3 million deal, leveraged and bought a $10 million deal, guess what? He gets a brand new depreciation schedule because he went through the Netflix way of doing things. He didn't go through the old blockbuster way of doing things. So not only is he getting a new depreciation schedule, but hopefully he bought it at a discount, right? He's able to make a deal, all right? And, uh, and now he's going to receive the cash flow from that. Now he's got to pay back the trust because he did a JV partnership with the trust. But guess what? The trust is going to turn around and pay him. So it's kind of like borrowing from himself, but it's not borrowing from himself because that's taxable. It's actually a JV partnership. And so that's how that works. And that's a fast way of saying it. Um, and it's like riding a bike. This bike is kind of wobbly, but when you get with us, we're going to guide you every step of the way. And uh, you're going to get the tax professionals who, who've, who've, who've done it. You're going to get the financial advisor who's my business partner. And you're going to get myself, who's a commercial real estate expert and trustee, to walk you through all of this. That's great. Now, we're getting close to the top of the hour here. Now, if I'm in um, commercial real estate and I'm doing syndication, how can this work for that? Oh, great question. Yeah. So back to the Dave deal. So he was able to, to actually, I'll do another, it's another Dave deal. So his name is David and David, um, they've, uh, he sold a $20 million asset in, in, in Vegas. Okay. He almost sold it for 22 million and then the COVID-19 hit and he, unfortunately the prices went down in Vegas. So he sold for 20 million. He had tons of partners in a traditional syndication. The whole entity must move. Meaning if me, Rachel and Bruce and 10 others owned a property, um, especially in California, the drop and swaps have been challenged and it fails to 1031. We all have to agree and go on to the next deal. Well, guess what? Not everyone wants to agree, right? Not everyone wants to do that. Partnerships want to separate. So this is where the deferred sales trust is like the Netflix versus the Blockbuster. Blockbuster, very restrictive, 1031. Netflix, very seamless. And so David and Jordan actually both did their own deferred sales trust. The rest of the rest of the investors just paid their tax and they're sitting on the sidelines. Well, guess what? Another property, $16.7 million sold in Phoenix a month later. And guess what? The same thing. They did the same thing and put it to the Deferred Sales Trust. They're selling another one uh, and, and I think two weeks. And each time they're just parking their equity into this one trust, okay, mm-hmm. just one trust, and they're just compiling and they're deferring the 30 to 50% in tax. And then guess what? They're buying a deal in Texas. They can use these funds up to 80%, by the way. We do limit, it's not 100% can go out to a deal. We wanna keep some liquidity in the trust and, and keep that in stocks, bonds, mutual funds. And they can take that and they can go buy real estate by putting it into an LLC and making the LLC a partnership of that new syndication. So hopefully that answers the question. I think so. I, I think there's just so much that we could cover here. What happens if I die while I am in process of this? Can that trust be made to pass directly to my children? Can it be part of my legacy then? That's- Absolutely. So we, this is just a part of your, uh, your your living trust. And so I'm the trustee of the deferred sales trust, okay, for that particular one. But this is just a promissory note, which is the asset, which will be inside of your living trust as long as you do the proper estate planning. So mm-hmm. most of our notes go for 10 years, but every 10 years, guess what? You can renew for 10, renew for 10, renew for 10. And then your kids can step into your shoes, okay, inside of the living trust, mm-hmm. okay? 
and just start receiving payments. So we're working on a, literally actually out of Modesto, a group that owns over $100 million of real estate. They have no debt and they're looking, they have multiple, you know, three kids that are a part of the estate. Their, their parents helped build up this massive amount of wealth and they're going, we want to get out of all of this, but they have their separate interests. So they're all going to form the deferred sales trust and then they want to pass it to their kids inside of their living trust. And so it's a seamless partnership separation. It's truly the Netflix versus the blockbuster. That's really awesome. Is there anything, Bruce, that you feel that we should cover or missed during this conversation? I, I, have, I think the only thing that people would be curious about is the management fees of the trust and the fees to set the legal fees to set them up. And I know it's going to depend upon, you know, the how complicated it is and so on and so forth. Ongoing management fees should be about the same though, I would, I would imagine. You got it. Yeah, and, and exactly right. Uh, I'll just use an average, a million dollar deal. By the way, our minimum is a million dollars net equity into the trust and about $500,000 of gain. So if your deal is smaller than that, unfortunately it's too small for us. Now, if you had one, two or three deals that added up to that and you're selling them all in the next six to 12 months, then sure, talk to us. But other than that, it's too small because why? Our fees will eat up the savings, right? So we need at least a hundred to $200,000 of liability deferred and at least about a million into the trust to make sure that it can pay for the fee. So what are the fees? Okay, so on like a million dollar sale of a property, Bruce, you're looking at 1.5%, so $15,000. One time fee to the tax attorney includes legal and audit defense for the life of the trust. Lifetime audit defense, which is very important. You wanna make sure whatever tax deferral strategy you're looking at, that the tax attorney staying behind their work. Not only are they staying behind their work, but that they actually have defended their actual clients with the actual structure against the IRS, and guess what? batting a thousand over thousands of closes over a dozen no change IRS audits. So they're not guessing at this. They've, they've had the formal audits and the actual audits. They also have what's called a private letter ruling for one of the deals as well. And that was approved for form and substance of the actual deal. So that's important. Okay. Uh, the next one is to the trustee and the financial advisor. And that runs about one and a half percent per year, depending on the deal. It can go a little bit higher if you bring in like a, uh, if it's a separate financial advisor, if you work directly through us, you're going to get the, the lowest cost. But if you bring another cook in the kitchen, it can be as high as maybe 1.85%, okay? Um, and that includes the financial advising services. That includes the trustee services. And by the way, that doesn't, it doesn't matter if you're in investment real estate or securities. Those fees will about be the same. You'll pay a little a tax return about $1,200 per year. I was going to say, the yeah, and a tax return also. About $1,200 yes. a year the trust's going to pay, right? But remember, the goal is net of all recurring fees to net that 8%. Goal, not, not promised but we're going to hopefully hit about nine and a half, ten percent 10% over a 10 year period. And you're going to net eight at which that point you can just refinance and keep it all rolling again. So that is the short answer. There's a $250 mark to market report fee. Um, and uh, uh, that is all of the fees and you can email us and, and, um, and go through that um, uh, and, and see that just go to capital gains tax solutions.com and we'll get you, we'll get you the fee sheet. And of course, if your value goes higher, the values go a little bit lower, okay, on those fees, depending on the accounts under management. Great answer. And that was my next question as well. How do we, as our audience, reach out to you to get more information, to plug into everything that you have available? I know you've got a podcast, you've got a lot of resources. Talk about those and what somebody who's interested can do next as a next step. Thank you. Yeah, we have a podcast, a YouTube channel, LinkedIn, Facebook. Just search Capital Gains Tax Solutions and also just search Brett Swartz and, and then just add me as a friend and, and connect me on LinkedIn. That's if you are a business professional or, or, or an owner selling something. Now, if you're a business professional, we also have a coaching program to help you explode your business using this Deferred Sales Trust. Um, you can go to experttaxsecrets.com to learn about that. And again, we work with luxury realtors. We work with financial advisors, business brokers, commercial real estate syndicators, operators, and commercial real estate brokers. So if, if you fit any of those, even CPAs and mergers and acquisitions attorneys, go to experttaxsecrets.com and we will uh, uh, make you an offer there that uh, perhaps uh, you want to you uh, take advantage of. Excellent. And if you're not that and you're just interested in deferred sales trust, that's capitalgainstaxsolutions.com? Correct. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Brett, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you for just being a wealth of knowledge and information. I think you threw so many examples at us that was really just helpful to be able to see and hear um, tangible, experiential data and and factual stories of, of ways that you've actually done this and work this in your business. So really appreciate that. And this might be an episode you need to slow down to one time speed as 
I think we talked a little quickly and threw a lot of numbers at you. So go ahead and hop on over to capitalgainstaxsolutions.com. You can check out his podcast as well. And I do want to let you know, if you are a wealth creator, if you're in the position of you're making a lot of money, you want to be in a position though of making sure you don't run out of money. You want to figure out how to use cash flow strategies, privatized banking, and alternative investments. You want to talk to The Money Advantage. Go to themoneyadvantage.com, book a conversation with our advisors right on that homepage. You're able to do that. And we would love to be able to meet you in that conversation and move forward and figure out the best next steps for you. So in closing, thank you for listening. Thank you, Brett, for being here. And everyone, please remember, success leaves clues. So model the successful few, not the crowd, and build a life and business you love. Discover the secret of how to earn a return on the same money in two places at the same time so that you can strengthen your investment returns. We've created a free guide for you that explains the top three things every investor needs their privatized banking system to do. Go to themoneyadvantage.com slash banking, put in your name and primary email address, click the send my free guide button right now and we'll see you on the inside. Thank you for listening to the Money Advantage podcast. Today's show notes and resources are available for you on themoneyadvantage.com. If you like this episode, make sure you subscribe and leave a review. If you have any questions or desire to speak with a qualified financial professional after listening to today's podcast, we encourage you to reach out to us at hello at themoneyadvantage.com or check us out at themoneyadvantage.com. The opinions and views expressed here are for informational purposes only. This material is educational in nature and should not be deemed as a solicitation of any specific product or service. All investments involve risk and a potential loss of principal. Kalos Capital Incorporated nor Kalos Management Incorporated offer tax or legal advice. Please consult with a tax advisor or attorney for advice regarding the impact on your portfolio. Securities offered through Kalos Capital Incorporated Member FINRA, SIPC, MSRB, and Investment Advisory Services offered through Kalos Management Incorporated and Registered Investment Advisor, both located at 11525 Parkwood Circle, Alpharetta, Georgia. E3 Consultants Group is not an affiliate or subsidiary of Kalos Capital Incorporated or Kalos Management Incorporated.